0: Go to wjffradio.org, where you'll find a vaccine locator and COVID tracker. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected.
1: You're listening to Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville. W233 AH Monticello.
0: Live from our studios in Liberty, New York, this is the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania, right here on Radio Catskill. I'm your host, Jason Dole, and thank you so much for being here with us tonight. It's a big local election year, and we have continuing coverage for you here on Radio Catskill. And on this edition of the Local Edition, we have so many candidate interviews, this is actually going to be an hour-long program tonight. That's right, we're going until 7 o'clock, and we'll get back to the daily after we're done with our special election coverage early next week. Coming up, we're going to hear from candidates running for Sullivan County's legislature, Wayne County's Board of Commissioners as well. We'll hear from Robert Doherty, Kat Scott, and Jocelyn Kramer, all joining us this hour. But first off, let's start with some news out of Albany, featuring an update on a story we've been following for quite a while here, legal cannabis in New York State. There's actually a state Senate hearing this week on New York's legal cannabis rollout, and it highlighted flaws in the system including a a proliferation of thousands of illegal pot shops operating across the state. Karen DeWitt has more.
2: The law to allow the sale of adult recreational marijuana was approved two years ago. Since then, bureaucratic roadblocks and court injunctions have slowed the program. As a result, only around two dozen legal retail shops have opened out of the more than 160 that were supposed to be in business by now. At the same time, possession and sales of marijuana has been decriminalized. As a result, an estimated 3,000 illegal pot shops are in business all across the state. At a hearing this week, state senators grilled Office of Cannabis Management's executive director, Chris Alexander, on steps his agency is taking to close the stores. Senator Brad Hoylman-Siegel said dozens of illegal stores are operating in his Manhattan district. It includes Hell's Kitchen and parts of Greenwich Village.
3: A worker at Smoke City on 710 9th Avenue was shot in the leg during an attempted robbery, and Uh, January, there was a shooting in front of a store called Forbidden Cannabis in Hell's Kitchen. An unlicensed shop at 423 Ninth Avenue was recently held up at gunpoint. There was a fire at an unlicensed smoke shop at 346 West 52nd. Hell's Kitchen Clouds, it's called. By the way, these shops should be shut down just for their bad puns.
2: Hoyleman siegel says high school students are known to frequent some of the illegal shops, which he says market their products to children. He asked Alexander what his office plans to do about it.
3: This is a public health issue, particularly for young people. Does it not deserve a more expedited process
0: for addressing the illegal shops.
2: Alexander answered.
0: I absolutely agree, Senator. This absolutely is a significant threat to public health and for the sales to minors. I mean, you know, that remains a felony offense. Uh, That is something that remains on the books. Um, I know, uh, you know, law enforcement, particularly in the city, have have done underage buys. Uh, in many of these shops. We want them as close as bad as you do.
2: Hoylman-Siegel, along with other Democratic senators who questioned the OCM staff, backed the original law to legalize cannabis. Senator Liz Krueger, who represents parts of Manhattan's east side, asked Alexander if the fines imposed for illegal operations at up to $20,000 a day are too low.
1: If you close an illegal store and you take the product, but the fines aren't big enough, to actually discourage people from just opening up again. And we did change the law to make the fines much bigger. Then I don't believe it works at all. That you'll spend time and resources closing stores and they'll say, oh, okay, they'll take the product and two days later I'll reopen. Alexander
2: told her that he agrees the fines are too small given the estimated profits that the
0: illegal shops reap. Even at the $20,000 a day limit for some of these folks who are owning multiple operations across the city or across the state, it is still, you know, a cost of doing business.
2: The legislature in June enacted new enforcement powers to close down the illegal illegal stores. Senator Andrew Gennard has questioned why, though, after OCM initiated over 300 actions on the shops, just 16 have been closed for good so
3: far. That seems like a startlingly low number, given the fact that we all recognize there are thousands of, of these illegal shops around the state.
2: The hearing comes as the online news publication The City reports that OCM has put its hearing process to levy fines against illegal pot shops on hold, saying they don't have enough staff. Alexander told senators that his office plans to restart the hearings, but he says he doesn't know the exact date. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
0: And thank you to Karen DeWitt and New York Public News Network for that report. This is the local edition. And it's time for us to get into our election coverage again on an hour long episode of the local edition night. We're going until seven o'clock to bring you these candidate interviews. Coming up, we will have Kat Scott, the challenger, running in Sullivan County's second legislative district. We'll also hear from Robert Doherty, current legislative chair and incumbent running in Sullivan County's first district. But first off, let's start with Wayne County tonight. In Wayne County, folks will be voting on all three county commissioner seats Jocelyn Kramer is an incumbent running for commissioner. She starts off by telling us uh, why she's running.
1: Just a little background, because most people know, but for for those that don't, I want people to tune into this, what the Wayne County Board of Commissioners is, who we are, what we do to better understand everything else we talk about in the next few minutes. In Pennsylvania, most counties are run by a three-person board of commissioners, and each four years, we are all up for re-election at the same time. So they don't stagger that. I was first elected four years ago. I was by 10 votes, Patricio. So when we talk about your vote uh, being important and really mattering, certainly in these local races, it truly does. So I have never forgotten for one minute that I only won by 10 votes. But when I was campaigning four years ago, I had a lot of ideas about what I wanted to do in this job and what I thought it could be. And I am still learning. Uh, um, the learning curve is intense, but it is, it's fascinating. And it, every time you think you have your handle on something, there's more that you can do and in get involved in. And that's entirely up to the individual. How much do you want to be involved in? If you just want to do the basics, that's one thing. If you really want to work towards I call it economic growth, but smart economic growth, not just any kind of growth, but the stuff that's best suited for us here in Wayne County. The more you want to be involved in that, the more you're doing, the more you're learning. So it is a job that I, to simply answer your question, I I love the job, Patricio. I absolutely love it. I, I thought I would. I love being here. I love working with my fellow commissioners. We oversee a staff of nearly 500 people. I've grown to learn so much more about what they do and know them. And gosh, we have a good team here. There's so much more that can be done. You're just getting warmed up in four years, to be honest. So projects that are state or federally funded can take years. And so a lot of the things that I've been working on for the last four years have been in place prior to that. So now I'm here. I've lent my assistance, my vision, and I want to be a part of future projects and everything that we've been working on as well. So in a nutshell, I, I do love the job. There's a lot more that can be done. My vision for the future, just simply put, as managers of Wayne County, our budget, our county programs and services, I always say county government is like community government. We take care of our community in ways sometimes that people don't even, aren't even aware of, right? We've got access to the court system. You've got a 911 system. We've got a correctional facility. We've got human services. It goes on and on. I don't want to leave anybody out. But to take care of the people that do these uh, jobs, to run these programs and services, to do it as efficiently as we can while best serving the needs of Wayne County. And the needs have changed. They've changed dramatically in the last four years, in my opinion, because of the pandemic. So you can't just keep doing the same thing you were always doing. My vision for the future is to continue to adapt and pivot where our needs are changing. We have to continue to serve those needs and to measure them and make sure we're addressing them. I think we're going to get to this and a couple other questions here, but I'll talk about that more when you ask me about workforce and that kind of thing and taking care of people here. That's all kind of wrapped up in our recovery to work ecosystem. So that's certainly a vision I have. I, you want to work on projects that really get to the source of the issue, not just Band-Aids. So there's quite a bit of that happening. And I really want to be around to see some of that through.
3: So one of the concerns I heard from uh, folks in Wayne County is the increase in taxes. So how do you plan to to address the concerns of homeowners, renters, and business owners who have experienced a sudden increase in taxes during this period we're having of high inflation?
1: That's a great question, Patricio. I would say that taxes are most people's top concerns. And I do want to clarify because wherever you live in Wayne County, you have, you're subject to three different taxes, your municipality, which is the borough the township that you live in. The county and the school district. So I will specifically talk about county taxes. And most people, again, just so people are aware, in Wayne County, you get two tax bills through the year, you get one in the spring, and that is your county tax bill and your municipality tax bill. That is generally the lesser of the two. And in the fall, you get a school tax bill, and that's generally higher. We did a, a tax reassessment here in Wayne County in the last couple of years. It took several years. It was several years in the making. It had been approved even prior to my being here. But as a new commissioner, I saw exactly why they were, they wanted to do a reassessment. A lot of the market has changed so much since our last county reassessment in 2004 and that change wasn't capturing new construction, people that were coming into Wayne County and not paying their fair share of taxes. So we saw that time and time again. And and no, these are difficult things to do and talk about and communicate effectively about. But the truth was, anytime you had new construction come on the tax roll, it had to be valued at the same year levels as your prior tax reassessment, countywide tax reassessment. That was 2004. So you had a lot of high-end homes being constructed that were being valued at 2004 levels, whether they were coming on the tax roll in 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, 20, 21, right? So they were, in my opinion, not paying their fair share of taxes. In the meantime, you have a lot of people in Wayne County that were on fixed incomes, that were in markets that didn't appreciate as quickly as others, and they were paying more than their fair share. So the reassessment went out and it just valued everybody again at the same point in time. It had been decided prior to COVID that we would do this. When COVID hit, certainly our real estate market really did jump up. And so that added to the concern that people had. However, what we got what we wanted property was reevaluate evaluated all at the same time. I think it was more fair. Yes, a, a lot of people's taxes went up. I would say about 38% of the people's taxes went down, Patricio, and, and were properly adjusted. We at the county work very hard all year long to make sure we're staying within our budget, and we try not to do any kind of tax uh, increase. We're talking about that right now, because this is budget season. And voters and residents are frustrated because taxes only seem to go up. And it's a hard it's a hard message to make people understand that costs go up even for the county. Right. And wages are going to drive our budget probably in the near future. But we are working very hard to have no tax increase this year. That is my prediction. Please don't hold me to it. We're not finished with these conversations. But that's our goal. Our goal is to not raise taxes at all for people. And if we can't manage our budget within that, what can we cut and still take good care of our people? So that's where we are. We have the ability to raise taxes any year. And we have done that out of the past 15 years. We, we, myself and prior commissioners have only raised taxes at the county level four or five times in the last 15 years, slight increases. So we try to do as best we can by the taxpayer here in Wayne County.
3: So I saw the statistic and it was, was staggering to hear the statistic that PA has lost 32% of the workforce to addiction and mental health crisis. Given the significant workforce losses to addiction and mental health crisis in PA, how do you plan to ensure that affordable treatment and mental health services become more accessible in Wayne County? And what outcomes do you hope to achieve with the Recovery to Work project?
1: Uh, another great question, Patricio. Thank you. So prior to my being a commissioner, there was a recovery to work ecosystem already in progress. And it's something that I support fully uh and that we desperately need. And what that is, is your conventional rehab treatment for most people, the success rates are, they are what they are, right? In my opinion, they're lower than they can be. And it can often take multiple attempts at recovery to really return someone healthy, happy to their families, to the workplace. So what would increase that success rate? We certainly believe that a campus of services that are intermingled. So you have your drug and alcohol treatment along with mental health services to really help someone recover and then add to that a workforce component that helps train them for new skills or improve their existing skills because the whole world is changing in terms of workforce, right? So In northeastern Pennsylvania in general, these services are lacking. Drug and alcohol services are lacking. Mental health services are lacking. And COVID has only heightened that. We as a county have a responsibility to provide these services, to coordinate these services for people. So if someone's struggling, we've got to help them. And very often, our caseworkers are driving halfway across the state, all the way across the state to get these services for somebody. So they're recovering far from home. That means their support system isn't there for them. We had envisioned a uh, campus of services somewhere in the Waymart area, just because that would help us serve all the other counties that are also in need of these services, not just Wayne County, but six or seven other counties. And we think that this will help people, again, recover and return to work. The 32% statistic, when I first heard that, it floored me to hear it spoken out loud, to be honest with you. But I'd already felt it. We here in the county, since the pandemic, all the businesses that we've talked to, every single one of them, the challenges that we have hiring people right now. And right before COVID was that whole transition into a gig economy that was something that was hard to explain to people that have gone to work for the same company their whole lives, especially if it provided a pension. So- the workforce is in transition to begin with, but if people are, if if people are able to get affordable help that they need in their own community, we need these folks. We need them in the workforce desperately here. And there's a lot of opportunity right here in Wayne County that that wasn't here ten, twelve years ago, Patricio. So I think those things are really important. We've got to take care of our people. I think that this campus, we have been working on grants for this uh, service. We've raised all ten million dollars already for this, so there's a lot of potential here, so that we can help bring providers here, so that they can provide these services for people, and 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 we continue to work on that. We've had to pivot several times because we've changed location ideas just because we had a lease with a state at one point, and that fell through at the last minute. It's a lot of planning, but we've got a really good team here that's committed to this that we want to work through it. And I would absolutely love to see this happen. It's hard to talk about these things. And for I truly believe that every family in Wayne County is dealing with this issue on some level. Someone they love is struggling. And it's unacceptable at this point. There's a hundred reasons why we got here. It's unacceptable. And I think that you see it when you see people's hopes lost, their joy is lost. This is something we can do to fix this. And I'd really love to see that happen.
3: Another fact that the the pandemic is the need for high-speed internet, the pandemic has really shown how important that is. Can you speak on the strategy for expanding broadband access in areas of Wayne County that currently lack this crucial infrastructure? And how do you plan to utilize available federal funds to achieve this goal?
1: I can talk about this because we spent a lot of time on this, Patricio. And as you might know, because we've talked to WJFF about it a lot too, we've had broadband issues in Wayne County ever since there's been broadband, right? So most people had inadequate service and that's it. We've got a an unusual topography, even for other Pennsylvania counties. It's so difficult to lay fiber in this county and expensive. It's, it's really the key word. It's so expensive to run it. So just not having good broadband services was the norm for a while, but then COVID came, right? And now we're at a a disadvantage. We can't educate our kids like other communities can. We can't allow people remote work so that programs and services can continue because people don't, when I say they don't have great broadband, they don't have broadband in a lot of places, right? In the first year that I was a commissioner in 2020, there was some federal money for federal cares. And it was specifically for broadband for rural communities was one of the uses for that money. And we used about 25% of our federal cares money for broadband because the need for it was, again, heightened during the pandemic. What we were allowed to do with those monies was fund projects that could be completed within a six-month period. So all of it, we worked with our internet service providers, our ISPs. What do you got? What can you do in six months? And boom, we paid for it. And that did get a lot more people access. But the issue is a lot larger than that. In 2021, there was additional funding from federal administration called ARPA money, the American Rescue Plan Act. And again, we were going to commit some of our money for broadband for that. As we worked on our strategy for that and to fund it, we then learned that the state was going to provide $200 million to counties, um, not each, but overall, right, in the form of a grant. We pivoted and applied our why spend any of that money if the state was going to fund broadband. We like having a rainy day fund. <laughs> which VCO. So when we found out how much money was coming down through the state, we pivoted. We put forth an application. The state wanted to make sure they were going to fund unserved and underserved locations. So again, we worked with our internet service providers. We had many conversations with them. What could get us the farthest with as little money as possible? So the county put together an application. We've partnered with several ISPs. In addition to that, some other large providers put in their own grants. Those decisions are going to be made in the next couple of months, um, and we'll see progress starting on that in 2024. Beyond that, as you mentioned, there's a whole round of federal funding coming in the form of BEAD funding. It's broadband equitability and affordability uh, is what it stands for. So wherever we don't get in round one with the state funding, we'd like to continue to achieve that with Once once we get people served, then we want to work on the affordability aspect of it. So there's I have very high expectations that Wayne County will be at a completely different level within the next two years.
3: In what ways would you engage the community to ensure that the vision of Wayne County as a great place to work, to raise children with a strong vocational education and and well-paying jobs become an actual reality?
1: Patricia, this is another great question. And I think, uh, my answer to that would be, I'd like to continue to do some of the things that are already in place. One is our Wayne Tomorrow initiative. And for any of our, your listeners that don't know what that is, uh, 10 years ago, the then board of Wayne County commissioners launched a, a community effort to bring community stakeholders to the table to work together to improve quality of life here in Wayne County and economic opportunities. That group still meets on the first Friday of every single month that has for over ten years. Some of the players come and go, but a lot of the nonprofits are represented. Our Wayne County Community Foundation is at the table. The hospitals at the table. Often our school districts are there. We'd love more business representation, but they are meetings. And by having that group come together, each one of them, I feel like, are great ambassadors for the county. They've got a better understanding of what's going on here locally. They get. Uh, questions answered directly f- from us and we can help them. So continuing that initiative by far is a top priority. It's one of the reasons I feel like I am a county commissioner because I got involved in Wayne Tomorrow years and years ago when I was the executive director of an environmental group. And it is what my appetite, so to speak, for doing this job. Um, I would most definitely continue that initiative and lean on that group for advice for, l- like I said, being ambassadors for our region The other thing is we county commissioners are extremely approachable, visible. We're at everything, whether it's a rotary event or a chamber dinner or things like that. And it's so important to communicate to people regularly and make sure that they know what's happening and they can ask questions directly of you. And that when you have news to share, you can share it with a a broad group of people. I feel that is so important. You need to have a relationship with the people you vote for. I really believe that. And here in Wayne County, it's a small rural county. We can do that. I'd absolutely continue doing that. Um, communication, communication. And this is the business that you're in. You know how important that is to getting good information out there and dispelling myths when you need to. Talking about taxes is really important. And I'm glad you asked one of your questions about that today. Because what through the reassessment, I found there was so much misinformation out there. And it was our job and our responsibility to make sure we give good information, correct that information, and it ease people's concerns where we can. So I, I would just double down on all the communication efforts and continue to work within the Wayne Tomorrow uh, network that we have grown to really rely on.
3: So uh, the last question, Jocelyn, come November 7th, when voters go to the polls, why should the folks vote for you and reelect you?
1: So that is an excellent question. Patricia, I'm going to continue to do what I've done for the last few years, which is I show up every single day. I work very hard. I enjoy the work and I am incredibly uh open-minded and respectful. So it doesn't matter why you're here. If you're a constituent with a question, if you're a fellow commissioner, if you look at the world in a completely different way than I do, I will respect you. I will learn from you, hopefully. And I just think that's important. That is I have a lot of energy. I love to do as much as I can and I will continue to do that. I will be honest. I will be transparent again, continue to do just what I have been doing these last four years. But really the benefit from being here in these past few years during COVID to really laser focus on some of these projects, Patricio, so that they do not, they do not linger. These grant funded projects can really linger. I really want to drive them home, and that takes a lot of in-depth knowledge of the process, the experience, the hurdles that come with state and federal grant funding, but I really want to be a part of making those things happen.
3: We're talking to Jocelyn Kramer, who's seeking re-election for the Board of Commissioners for Wayne County. Thank you so much for talking to us and letting us know your thoughts on the issues facing Wayne County voters this election season.
1: Patricio, thank you. I appreciate the time very much. I do want to remind people to please, please vote. It is. It's so important. And if you've requested a mail in ballot, please be sure to vote it and return it because we have quite a significant out, uh, number of outstanding ballots right now. Don't let it sit around on your counter like I know can happen at my house. <laughs> and thank you for your time. Thank you to WJFF for giving us this opportunity. Appreciate it very much.
0: All right. That's uh, Jocelyn Kramer is running uh, for re-election as a commissioner in Wayne County. We have more candidate interviews coming right up. Going to take a quick break. Quick break. Do stay with us. Thank you. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Radio Catskill's annual music sale is November 25th, and we need donations of high-quality vinyl records. We're looking for clean discs that have been cared for, collectible LPs in sought-after genres, rock, jazz, hip-hop, heavy metal, dance, even rare and valuable records. If you are a collector who's looking to downsize, give new collectors something good to take home. Email feedback at wjffradio.org and support Radio Catskill with your donation of high-quality vinyl today. Welcome back to The Local Edition, a special hour-long episode of The Local Edition tonight so we can get in these candidate interviews. Coming up, we still have Robert Doherty, current legislative chair and incumbent running in Sullivan County's District 1. Right now, however, we're going to look at Sullivan County's 5th district, District 5, where Kat Scott is challenger, running against incumbent George Conklin, I spoke to Kat Scott a couple of weeks ago here in studio, and this is how the conversation went. Do you mind introducing yourself to uh, the listener?
4: Hi, my name is Kat Scott. I'm running for Sullivan County Legislature in District 5. I am a first-time candidate and um, running as a Democrat and on an independent line called Sullivan United.
0: So, as a first-time candidate, like why are you uh, running for a seat on the Sullivan County Legislature, and and like what what vision for the future of Sullivan County are you working for as a new candidate?
4: So, like many people, um, I really wasn't attuned to Sullivan County government beyond seeing uh, you know things here and there in the local news. And then three years ago, this legislature announced that they were selling the Sullivan County Adult Care Center which is where my mother lives. And so I became very concerned. And I went to a public hearing. And I told myself if the county was in, you know, bad financial situation, then I would have to accept the results, you know, what was good for everyone. And um, when I went to this public hearing, which was on a Tuesday at 8am, you know, so it was not scheduled for, you know, the public. um, I found that there was a hidden agenda and a very unfair process. And so I started going to legislative meetings. And for the last three years, I have um, gone to many legislative meetings, um, ca- committee meetings, full board meetings, emergency meetings, special meetings. And, um, and I've learned some of the pressing issues that are facing Sullivan County residents. And I've seen how this legislature has addressed them or hasn't addressed them. And, um, you know, Jason, when you know something, you can't unknow it. So that really combined with the advocacy for my mother and the other residents of the care center, I couldn't walk away. So I threw my hat in the ring.
0: You know, and along those lines, uh, uh you know, health care access is a, Healthcare is a concern across the country, but here in our area, rural health care is even trickier. Access to health care is an issue. Um as you run for legislature, what initiatives are you looking at to ensure residents in remote areas of the county have access to health care, especially as our county health rankings are so low statewide?
4: Yeah, statewide we are sixty out of sixty two counties. Um health care is an important issue, especially in a county like Sullivan where we have an aging populace. We, you know, our, our folks are aging and, um,